0: Hi, I'm Mark Priestley. After a life spent in the elite environment of the Formula One pit lane learning how to win, this podcast aims to bring that elusive, high performance culture into your daily lives. In this week's episode, we're looking at how Formula One teams are built on trust and how we can learn from that to generate more trust in the relationships that we have in our daily lives, both personal, social, and business related. Welcome back to Pit Lane Life Lessons. Talk about how Formula One teams are so successful. Tiny things, but you only find those tiny things when you look for them. Of course, there's only one winner in every Grand Prix, so for everybody else, you haven't won. So it could be deemed that that's a failure. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Pit Lane Life Lessons podcast and what is officially the start of season four. There are now 30 episodes in the bank that you can go back and listen to at your leisure after you finish this one. I appreciate anyone who does that, but I appreciate every single one of you here right now over the next hour or so. For those who don't know me, my name's Mark Priestley. I spent 10 years at the cutting edge of Formula One, if you like, in the pit lane with McLaren's Formula One team. Initially as a mechanic moving up through the organisation in more senior roles over that 10-year period. And in the 10 years that have passed since I left the team in 2009, I've continued in and around the sport in a media capacity, presenting, commentating, giving opinions on, writing about my thoughts and my experiences from the inside, the inner sanctum of F1. This podcast is a place where I now share many of the learnings that I have realized are not just specific to Formula One. Many of the things that I now know add so much value to our lives outside of Formula One, but I can share a different perspective on having been on the inside. That's the very point of this podcast. So I hope you take something from it over the next hour that can change the way you think about your life, about your ambitions, about your careers, about your goals. Perhaps I can help you to realize, as F1 helps me to realize that almost anything's possible. We can achieve so much if we go about it in the right way. The power of human performance, both individually and collectively as a team, has so much potential. And if we're able to tap into that potential, well, our ambitions should see no bounds. Now, the way that I tend to do this is I look back over the week that's just gone, both at the storylines bubbling up inside the world of F1, but also things that have happened to me in my own personal life. And all the way through, I'm trying to pick out details, lessons, things that we can all learn and apply to our daily lives to become stronger and to achieve more. And that's exactly the same this week. Because this week I had the privilege of meeting up with one of my best friends in the world. Happens to be a friend, a former colleague, who still works in Formula One, who still travels the world in Formula One. And because of that, because I'm no longer travelling on the same level as he is, we don't tend to see each other anywhere near as much. He lives in a completely different country, a different part of the world to me. And whereas we used to see each other every single week, we used to almost live and travel together as part of the same team, that no longer happens, So we see each other on a much more rare basis. But it hasn't diminished our friendship. When we do get the opportunity to get together, it's like we've never been apart. And that feels like a good measure of a strong friendship where geographical distance or the length of time that you've been apart doesn't necessarily negatively impact your relationship. We picked up basically where we left off the last time we were together. And when we speak on the phone, of course, we exchange messages like anybody else, but being in the same room as each other has become more and more rare. Now, this particular friendship that I'm talking about emerged from my time at McLaren in this really close, tight-knit environment that is a Formula One team, where Everybody has to have complete trust in each other, where well, we have a bond that is, I guess, unique because of the unique work that we were doing together, the way we traveled the world together, we lived together, we experienced the highs and lows, the emotional highs and lows of competing in the Formula One World Championship. And they were extreme highs as well as they were extreme lows. We experienced so many things together as a group that perhaps it's no surprise that some of my best friendships have come out of that environment. And it got me thinking a bit more about this idea of bonds and friendship between people. And why is it that some of my tightest bonds with people have come out of this specific situation that I found myself in, inside the world of Formula One. Part of it could be explained that I was there for such a long time, 10 years in one organisation, another 10 years in and around the sport. Perhaps, of course, some of your best friendships will come out of that space. But I think it's more than that, because I'm not just talking about friendship. I'm talking about the really tight bonds that you have with a very specific group of people, your closest inner circle. And if I'm honest, and I think around who my tightest relationships are with, who who are my inner circle, the people I trust most in this world outside of my own family. It's quite a small group. And I think most people would probably have a similar experience in that if we're really honest and we really boil our friendship group down to the tightest relationships we have, the people we trust with our lives, that we would do anything for, that we would drop anything. We would fly to another country to go and see, to help out if they were in need of it. Those people who we can tell our innermost secrets to, who we can ask for help if we're struggling. How many of those people do you have? And I think if I'm honest and I have a look at the people in my life, I can boil that number down to, I'd say, less than five. Now, I don't know if that surprises anybody or not. I think it sort of surprised me when I first came up with that number, thinking, well, look, come on, of course, I've got a much bigger circle of friends than that. I've got a huge number of friends that I interact with. I'm quite a sociable person. I enjoy the company of others. Of course, I've got more than five friends. I know I have got more than five friends, but I'm talking about the real special friends, the special close relationships. And I'd say that that's less than five And if I boil that number down even further, which is what I've done over the course of the last week, three of those people came specifically out of the very tight bonds that we formed inside that McLaren Formula One team. So I've been asking myself over the past week, is that coincidental? Is that simply because that's where I've worked for a long period of time? And perhaps anybody who works in the same organization comes up with similar numbers of people who form part of their tight circle of trust. But I don't think that is the case. I think it's something unique to Formula One, unique even perhaps to McLaren at that specific period of time that we were in. We created incredible bonds between people because of some of the experiences that we went through together. And if that is the case, if this is something that Formula One has the ability to do, to create really tight, trusting teams who have bonds way beyond just the normal bonds of colleagues in a workplace. If that's the case, then how can we learn from that? I now travel the world as a business consultant speaking to organizations, huge organizations, in fact, organizations at every single level, looking at how they can help to build high-performing teams. And this is exactly the sort of thing that I now look at. How did McLaren do it? Why was our team so strong? And so I want to share with you some of the methods, the techniques that we used at McLaren back then, that we learnt at McLaren. And this didn't happen by accident. This was something that we specifically set out to do in terms of trying to maximise the capabilities of our team, trying to build a team that could take on the rest of the world and deal with the challenges, the difficult challenges that Formula One throws up week in, week out. How could we unite a group of people in a way that would make us stronger than another group of people further down the pit lane trying to do the same sort of thing? We created bonds between people that have far outlasted our time together working for the same organization. We've all gone on to do completely different things, to live completely different lives. We've gone on to have families. We've gone on to have different careers, work for different Formula One teams in some cases. But the bond between us all has remained as tight as ever. And so what is it that did that? What can we learn from it? And how can we apply that to our business lives to our corporate lives to our family lives to our friendship groups to whatever it is we want to achieve that could involve more than just ourselves that can benefit from having a team environment around us and quite frankly that's almost every single situation that we face it's the ethos that formula one teams are built on It's something that has created friendships in my life that I know will last for the rest of my days. I know that because they are so strong. It helps to make me stronger in the things that I do every day. If I need help, I know I've got options on where I can go. I know that some of those friends can offer me something that perhaps a family member can't offer. Perhaps they have an understanding of a situation that nobody else could because they never went through those same things that I went through. So one of the key central pillars to any relationship, any team bonding, is always trust. Now at McLaren, we specifically set out to try and create trust between the members of Of our team. And I don't mean just the wider team of a thousand or so people. I mean the teams within a team. I mean departments within the organization. I mean the race team itself. And even within the race team, the little teams of people that work in specific groups. I was part of the race team car crew. So I was on Kimi Raikkonen's car crew, for example. For quite a number of years. That team is where three of those great tight bonds that I referred to earlier on came out of. We had an incredible little crew of people who had total trust in each other. And that trust was central to the whole thing working. We had to trust each other. And so, what I thought I'd explore in a little bit more depth here is how do we build that trust? Because I think that that is something that we all need, that we can all benefit from, and is almost a superpower of any team. If I think back to how we created the trust within our little team within the Formula One operation, it centred around a number of different things. It centred around honesty between the people involved. We were all incredibly honest. My personal relationship with Kimi Raikkonen was often centred around me being way more honest than most people were with him. I'd tell him the truth. Sometimes he didn't like me telling him the truth, but over time he appreciated that that was the better way, that he could trust what I was telling him. There was more than one occasion where we'd have a failure, for example, in a Grand Prix, in a race. And at the end of that race, Kimi would come back to the garage and he'd do his debrief with the engineers or the team management, He'd do a couple of press calls. And then, of course, he'd have to just rush off. He'd fly home that evening pretty quickly after the race. And on more than one occasion, either him or his trainer, Mark, would call me later that evening to find out what really happened. He knew that I wouldn't sugarcoat anything. I wouldn't fluff the reasons up. Like perhaps he might have a suspicion that may have been done from a marketing perspective, from a management perspective, trying to sugarcoat things to make Kimmy feel a little bit better. Well, I wouldn't do any of that. He knew that. He'd call me and he'd say, Let, tell me what happened. And if it was a mistake by somebody on our team, if it was a failure, a component, whatever the reason might be, I'd tell it straight to him. I'd just tell him, look, this is what I found. We've stripped the car down now, found this to be the problem. And he'd appreciate it. I would openly admit to any failures on our part that may have contributed to that failure. I wouldn't try and make up an excuse. I wouldn't try and skirt around the issue. I'd just tell him. And the reason I did that was because I knew that the only way we could have that bond of trust is if we're both completely honest with each other. And Kimmy was exactly the same in the opposite direction. If I thought Kimmy was ever behaving in a way around the garage that was rude or obnoxious or a little bit arrogant, I'd tell him that. It only happened on one specific occasion that I can remember, but on that day I was honest enough to tell him that that was not the way that he should be behaving around these people. My colleagues, his colleagues, That were giving everything to build his car up and dedicating so much of their time to giving him the best opportunity they could when he goes out onto the racetrack. But he appreciated that level of honesty. And in the same way, he reciprocated that over time. He began to trust us in a way that I'd never had a relationship with a driver to that level. And in vice versa, we grew the same trust in the opposite direction. Kimmy invited us out into his world. He invited us into his inner sanctum. So his core group of friends, we interacted with each other. We became part of his circle of trust. His group of friends became our group of friends. I'm still in touch with some of Kimmy's friends today that I only met because we began to be invited into Kimmy's world. He flew us out to Finland at the end of every season to spend a week with his really tight group of childhood friends. To be invited into that world was an amazing opportunity, but it was also a real sign of the trust between us. So honesty is one of those key pillars of building trust. And having really honest conversations can be quite a difficult thing to do sometimes. But if I think back to these relationships that I talk about that have emerged from my time at McLaren sustained this long period, long since we left McLaren, those relationships were also built around honesty. We, as a team, had to create an environment where we were able to be honest with each other. We were able to be honest about other people's performances, to suggest ideas that might improve other people's performances. We had to be honest about our own performances And it was all done centred around this idea that we only want to become better as a team at what we do. There is no room for arrogance. There's no room for somebody who's unwilling to look at their own performance and question it and have others to do the same. Because if we do that, we're potentially holding back the power or the overall performance of the team. The team's only as good as the individual performances that make up that team. And so every single one of us, like a piece of a jigsaw, is crucial to the end product. That phrase that your team is only as strong as its weakest link is absolutely true. If you begin to embrace that as a team, you can start to find ways to make sure that you are not the weakest link. And that means trusting the people around you. Trusting that everybody has your back because our sole goal is to make this team as strong as it can be. When we're in competition against others, how can we make sure that our team is going to be stronger than theirs? And that means having trust to allow your colleagues to feedback on your performance. It also means that you might have to have enough honesty to be able to feedback on the performance of others within your team without the fear of upsetting them, knowing that that feedback only comes from a good place. There is only one intention behind it and that is to strengthen both the individual and the team looking for better results, the sole single focus, the single goal of every single member of that team has to be to improve performance. And if we can start to trust that that is, in fact, everybody's single-minded goal, that it is their focus, we start to lose any idea that it might be that one person is trying to put us down, is trying to climb over us to get to a higher position themselves. No team can operate to the best of its ability when even one individual within that team is working on that kind of basis. So we have to collectively get together to discuss what our goals and targets are, to discuss what the best way of achieving those goals and targets are, to openly, talk about our strengths and weaknesses and how the strengths of one person might be able to help the weaknesses of another person on that same team. And if we can tap into that resource that is the people around us, we can all become stronger together. We can all achieve our goals in a much more efficient way, perhaps a faster way, a more powerful way. Perhaps we can overcome the competition who are all having similar kinds of discussions themselves inside their teams. Well, if they're having those same kind of conversations, maybe we need to be even more honest, maybe even more open with each other to explore the depths of our strengths and weaknesses that others may not be going to those lengths to try and uncover. That's where the power of a team really lies. That's how we start to create that trust with open, honest conversations where the goal that we all should share is only to get to the end target quicker than the competition, better than the competition, more effectively than the competition, in a better way than the competition. In some of the early days working with Lewis Hamilton at McLaren, it had become apparent that Lewis was quite an emotional character at times. On some occasions, his emotions almost spilled over and began to affect his performance. That was just a character trait that we had noticed over the first six months or so of working with him. And there was one occasion I remember at the German Grand Prix when I was running Lewis Hamilton's cars, his number one mechanic. And this story, by the way, is recounted in much more depth in my book if you want to know more about it. But there was an occasion at the German Grand Prix where we had a disastrous start to the race. You may remember the race. It was that one where Lewis Hamilton spun off into the gravel, but then got lifted out with a crane, kept the engine running and managed to get back round to the grid for a restart after red flag. And during that restart process, we had all manner of problems occurring on the car, problems that were on the brink of forcing us out of the Grand Prix, where we couldn't get the car started again. And whilst all hell was breaking loose at the back of the car, where we genuinely, with the clock ticking down, didn't think we were going to make it back into this race, one of my roles was to keep Lewis Hamilton calm, protect him from the chaos that was ensuing further back in his own car. Whilst he was sat in the cockpit, I took some time because one of my strengths, I knew, was remaining calm under pressure, whereas one of his weaknesses appeared to be that he wasn't able to do so in the same way. When emotion took over, it would almost take over everything for him. You hear it on his radio communications sometimes. I've seen it in his relationships and how his relationship turmoils on occasions affect his performances in the car. And in this particular moment, I knew that the best way that we could operate as a team in that moment was me using one of my strengths to complement one of his weaknesses. And so I had to try and talk to him to remain calm whilst running the the team around me, whilst orchestrating the operation that was going on at the back of the car, trying to coordinate people, trying to coordinate equipment, getting to the right places, the right people, be able to try and uncover or recover the situation, get this car started with literally the clock ticking down and seconds to go. At the same time, I had to be talking to Lewis Hamilton keeping him under control, protecting him from all of that chaos, keeping a barrier between the nightmare that was going on at the back that I knew that if we found out about, if he knew the full extent of the problems we were working on at the back of the car, it would start to play on his mind. And so my strength complementing his weakness created a better team between us. And that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Trusting that there are people around you that can do certain things better than you can, can create a better outcome. We have to become aware of what our weaknesses are. We've talked about strengths and weaknesses in an earlier episode of this podcast. Becoming self-aware of what your limits are, what your capabilities are, what your strengths are, how your strengths can help others, but also just as importantly, How, on certain occasions, other members of your team might have strengths that might fill in the gaps that you have in your personality, in your character. Collectively, we can, of course, become far stronger, but we have to have total trust to open up those weaknesses to be filled in by the strengths of others around us. If we put up a barrier against those weaknesses, if we try and pretend that they don't exist, if we try and fluff them up and give ourselves this sense of bravado, try and put on a front that tells everybody around us, we're completely fine. We're under control. We know how to do this when realistically we may not, or someone else may know how to do it better. We have to drop our guard. And to do that, we have to have trust. So gathering a people, a team of people around you where you feel comfortable enough to drop your guard because you know that asking for help from the right people will make us collectively stronger is the better outcome. Sometimes we need to know that it will lead to a better outcome. And that can often come from discussing with the people around you, with your team at work, with your group of, of close friends, discussing where you want to get to, what you want to achieve. In terms of us as a Formula One team, We knew that we all shared exactly the same goal. Winning the World Championship meant exactly the same to Kimi Raikkonen as it did to me and to my colleagues. We'd have a very different perspective on it. It would have different impacts on our lives if we ever achieved it. But the desire to get there was the same for all of us. It was all something we had dreamt of for years that we were willing to sacrifice a huge amount for. And because we all shared that same goal, That same passion for the end result, we could open ourselves up to looking for the best way to achieve that result, even if it meant becoming vulnerable, opening yourself up, opening your weaknesses up to the people around you with the overall overarching goal of improving us as a team and getting there even quicker. So honesty is a huge part of building trust within a circle of friends or within a team. And that honesty has to extend to admitting on occasions when you've got things wrong, when you've made a mistake, going to those people and openly offering yourself up with an apology or accepting that you could have done things differently. And as long as we learn from those mistakes, as long as we're open enough to admit that we made the mistakes in the first place and to be open enough to know that some good can come out of it if we're willing to learn from it we can still start to work towards this collective goal that we're all after. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody gets it wrong at certain times. But trust can be amplified if you're willing to openly admit that you made those mistakes. Quite often, the people around you will already know that you made the mistake. They'll have seen it. And it can, when you don't have honesty between you, create an awkward situation Where the people around you have seen the mistake happen. They've seen you get it wrong. And it can become this elephant in the room where no one's willing to talk about it, no one's willing to broach the subject. The very first person who should be willing to talk about it is the person who made the mistake. So being open and honest enough to admit to your mistakes, admit them to the group, discuss them. Discuss what learnings can come out of them, because if you've made the mistake, not only can you learn something from it, but by discussing it openly amongst your team, you can help the other members of your team, the other members of your friendship group, to not make the same mistake in the future. Whatever learnings you can take from it, you can share those learnings with the people around you. Having that level of openness and of honesty between you goes in an enormous way to building trust. I referred earlier to a situation where Kimmy or his trainer Mark might call us at the end of a Grand Prix if something might have gone wrong to get the real honest, the lowdown on exactly what had happened. And on one particular occasion, I remember a problem inside the gearbox, which when we took it apart and really uncovered the depths of what that problem were that had stopped us in a Grand Prix that of caused Kimmy to have a DNF. In a year where we're scrabbling for a championship, we're desperate to win the world title, Kimmy had come away empty-handed and had flown home that evening and then called up later to find out what we discovered. And when he called me, I had already known by that point that the problem was a, a mistake by somebody in our little crew, in our team of people. Now, I had discussed with the person involved, I knew exactly what had happened. It was a simple mistake with a hydraulic connector that wasn't sealed properly, a hydraulic connection that wasn't sealed properly, had caused a leak, and that had led to the failure. And that was essentially human error. It hadn't been assembled correctly under huge pressure, yes, under difficult working conditions, when we hadn't had enough sleep, we had been working hard for long periods of time without enough rest, everybody was suffering but ultimately it had come down to a human error, a member of our team who hadn't done something as well as it should and could have been done. We discussed that amongst our team. There was no hiding it. There was no trying to pretend it was something else. We all knew what it was. We all knew who was responsible for it. And we discussed it amongst us as a group. We put our arms around the guy who was already feeling terrible because of course he knew he'd made the mistake. And we discussed how and why it had happened and how we prevent it happening in the future. And so when Kimmy rang to find out what had happened, that's the very first thing that I told him. I was honest, I laid it on the line. I said, look, this is what's happened. We've made a mistake. We have assembled something in the gearbox incorrectly and it led to the failure. I said, look, we're really, really sorry about this. You know, it's, it's a, a massive error. We're all feeling pretty low about it. We know why it happened and I can assure you it won't happen again. But that's what it was. Really sorry. And Kimmy's response to that was one of gratitude. He appreciated, and I know he appreciated, the honesty that he always got from me. There was no point in trying to sugarcoat it or pretend it was something else. And I could have easily done that. I could have lied. I could have said a component failed, meaning that it wasn't our fault. It was a component failure. And Kimmy would have taken that and he would have gone away and we would have looked better than we perhaps did but it wouldn't have created trust between us because at some point, maybe he'd have found out. And even if he hadn't found out, I would have known that I hadn't been open and honest with him, which was something I prided myself on always being. It was something that I knew our relationship was built upon. And even the relationship amongst us, the group of mechanics and engineers on that team, we prided ourselves on being open and honest with each other. And it was one of the reasons that the group of people, as I said earlier, of which three are still some of my closest, tightest friends to this very day, it's the very reason that that bond existed between us, because of open, honest trust between us all. Now, the next pillar of trust is centred for me around reliability, And I don't just mean, in terms of Formula 1, the reliability of a car, but it is the same thing. We have total trust in a car that we know is reliable. If it's not going to let us down, we can trust that car. We know it's going to get to the end of a Grand Prix. That's important. There were many occasions over my time in the sport where we had a, a very fast car, but it wasn't reliable. We had no confidence that we'd always get to the end of a race. And on many occasions, particularly with Kimi Raikkonen, Well, we had a very fast car, an incredibly fast driver, a brilliant team around us, yet the car would let us down on occasions. We couldn't have total trust in that that particular car. It's the same with people. Trust comes from having reliance on the people around us, knowing they'll do what they say they're going to do, what we expect them to do. It's the same for pit stops is a great example We have to have total trust in the people around us on that pit stop crew. I mean, the obvious one is the driver, isn't it? We have to have a total reliance on the driver stopping on the marks, for example. I spent time operating the front jack in pit stops, one of the most trusting positions around that pit stop crew, perhaps. I had to have a total reliance on the driver stopping in the right place so that he didn't run me over when he came in at what was 70 miles an hour, 120 kilometers an hour back in the day, the pit lane speed limit. 15 meters away from you, he's still doing 70 miles an hour. And so to stop at your ankles is a terrifying experience where I have to have complete trust that the driver's going to do what he said he was going to do. Stopping exactly on those marks. Stopping right in front of my front jack and not overshooting by a meter and wiping me out. The driver has to be reliable. And I need to know that. And in the same way, he needs to be able to rely on us. We say we're going to be able to change his wheels and tires in just a couple of seconds to get him back in the race, keep him in that competition. And we have to be reliable in doing that. He has to trust that we're going to do what we've said we can do when he comes in for that pit stop. If he doesn't have that trust, when someone calls him in for a pit stop in his own mind, he's going to start questioning that decision. Is this the right call? Because it may or may not go well. The guys may or may not do a good job here. I don't have total trust that they will deliver what they say they can deliver. And the whole thing falls apart. So reliability is absolutely key on a personal level. I have to be reliable in my job every single time without fail. The driver has to be exactly the same when it comes to pit stops, when it comes to delivering the performance we need in the car. The whole team is built around every individual being reliable in terms of whatever it is they bring to the table. Their roles within that team, within that organisation, you have to be reliable to do that in a more general sense. You know, you've got to turn up for work on time. You've got to deliver a project at the deadline you said you'd be able to deliver it by. You've got to deliver a project on the budget you said you could deliver it on. Because if you can't do those things, you become unreliable. And that reputation can escalate incredibly quickly. In fact, that reputation can come about after just one incident of you not being reliable. You are as good as the last project you delivered. You're as good as the last thing you said you could do and yet didn't deliver upon. It can take longer to rebuild a reputation than it can to destroy one. Being reliable is one of the best reputations you can have in your personal and professional lives. Formula One is built on reliability. It's one of the key fundamentals of performance. Yes, you need a fast car. Yes, you need a car that's going to be able to look after its tyres. You need a car that's going to be able to get round the racetrack as quickly as possible, quicker than the competition. But if it's not reliable, you're not going to get anywhere. I mean, just look at the current situation in Formula One right now. Ferrari have an incredibly fast car. They have a car that on occasions is faster. In fact, on many occasions is faster than any other car out there. And yet... It hasn't been reliable enough. The team hasn't been reliable enough yet to deliver on that performance. And so the performance almost means nothing because if they get to the end of the championship season and they have not won the title because of a lack of reliability, just like in the way that I described with us and Kimi Raikkonen back in the mid 2000s. We had a car capable performance-wise of delivering the world championship, but reliability-wise we let ourselves down. Ferrari may be on a path to doing something similar. It's early days. But just look how important that reliability is. Just look at the relationship we're starting to see on occasions emerge between Charles Leclerc and his own team, where he's questioning decisions across the radio, where he's questioning strategic decisions. He's almost having to take control of the team strategy himself, because it feels like he doesn't necessarily have the trust in his own organization because of some of the occasions where they've let him down in recent times. Where he doesn't have a feeling of total reliability amongst the people around him, amongst the car that he's driving. And if he doesn't have that complete trust, is he now starting to take focus away from driving the car? to starting to think about things like strategic decisions, about which tyres to be on, when to make a pit stop. Decisions that he should be able to completely outsource to his team with total reliability and trust they will deliver the right decision at the right time. The best teams, the ones that win world championships, have exactly that. When nobody lets each other down, where they can rely upon each other because they know they've put all the effort, all the work in to making sure they're reliable. Building habits so that people are not relying on decision-making in tough, high-pressure moments because they've practised for it. It's second nature. They know what's going to happen when a safety car comes out at this particular time in the race. They know what is going to happen when performance starts to tail away because the tyres are degrading. They know the cutoff point. They know when the the safety car window is opening up in a Grand Prix situation. So if the car, if the safety car comes out, there's no major decision to be made. They just know what's happening because everything's been prepared in advance. Reliability has been created through meticulous preparation, through meticulous attention to detail and dedication to the cause. And we can do exactly the same thing. To become reliable, we need to dedicate some of our capacity to becoming reliable. We need to build some extra time in in the mornings to accommodate our journey to work and perhaps even accommodate a puncture, a bit of extra traffic. Have we factored that in? Can we still be reliable and turn up on time even if something goes wrong? In my own life today, I have a commute to the Wheeler Dealers Workshop that is almost two hours long every single day. Two hours there and two hours back. It's a long way and I'm doing it most days at the moment. Now over a two hour car journey, there's huge opportunity for things to go wrong. Traffic on certain roads can easily be built up. We can get accidents, there can be roadworks, there can be all manner of things that will cause me delays. And over a two hour journey, of course, you increase the chance of that happening. You're literally traveling on more roads for longer periods of time. There is more scope for these little incidents, none of which could be my fault, to crop up and cause me to be late for work. So if I only left for my two-hour journey two hours before I needed to be there, there's a high risk factor that I may not get there on time. And so what I do is I leave an extra 20 minutes early. And sometimes it means I get to work 20 minutes early. Sometimes it's half an hour early. I don't really want to be at work half an hour early. I'd rather spend that half an hour at home. But I also want to be known as a reliable person. I want to be the person who turns up for work on time when they said they were going to be there. I want that to be my reputation. It was exactly the same ethos we had at McLaren. Quite often, we would joke that we would leave way too early to get to an airport or to get to the circuit in the morning, but we were reliable. We made sure we were always there. The race is never going to wait for you to get there if you're late on a Sunday morning, not going to push back the race start because you had a bit of traffic on the way in. It's your responsibility to make sure that you are the reliable person in your team. And it's everybody's responsibility to do that. And if everybody takes that responsibility seriously, and again, if you openly discuss that amongst your team, amongst your group of friends, amongst your family, talk about the reasons why you should be leaving a little bit of extra time to get to your destination. If you can discuss amongst team members the reason why certain decisions need to be made, the benefits of certain behaviours, of acting a certain way, of doing certain things, why that might lead to bigger success, bigger achievements together. If you can have those conversations and show people why you're asking them to leave 20 minutes earlier, for example, why you're asking them to be open and honest and to share their weaknesses, to show some vulnerabilities amongst the team, what benefits could that have to people? It's very easy to see the negatives of opening yourself up and becoming vulnerable to the people around you. So having an open discussion about the positives, about what outcomes it could lead to is a really important step in building this trust amongst the team so that you all know what you're aiming for and why you're doing the things that you're doing, why the sacrifices you might be being asked to make could be worthwhile because collectively those sacrifices could lead to the successes that you're dreaming of. And we've just touched on another of those key pillars of trust right there, vulnerability. Opening yourself up to being vulnerable is one of the best ways to building trust in a relationship. And by the way, when I'm talking about trust, this applies to all relationships here. This isn't just about Formula One or a team environment in the office or anywhere else. A relationship, a romantic relationship is based on all of the same things. If you have a shared goal or shared outcome you want to get to, all of these things apply. And vulnerability is a really key part of that. Showing somebody your vulnerable side is one of the best ways to helping to build trust. Now, I don't just mean walking around the street, opening yourself up to the first person you meet. I'm talking about somebody you want to build this trusting relationship with whether it is part of a sports team or a business team at work or a family group, friendship group, romantic relationship. If you've identified somebody or a group of people where trust is something that could add value, then vulnerability is one of the most important things you can do. Because what happens when you open up yourself and you show a vulnerable side is you show that you're willing to give everything to the other side of that conversation, to the other person or people in that relationship. You're not holding anything back. You're not putting up a protective screen between you and them. You're willing to show the deepest, darkest, most vulnerable side of yourself in the hope that the person on the other end of that conversation can help you or can strengthen you can take what you're giving them and offer something in return, perhaps their own vulnerable side. And all of those things can help to build such a bond of trust. When I talk about this core group of friends that I have, this small inner circle that I trust with my life, it comes because all of these things have happened over time. I have been vulnerable with these people. They've seen me in some difficult situations. Together, we've helped each other to get out of them. I've done the same for them. They've come to me with problems that perhaps they can't go to anyone else with. That's being vulnerable. That's putting all of your trust in a person. And when someone does that to me, I massively appreciate it. It opens up a whole new level of relationship. And when you feel you have that trust, it's a very special place. It gives you strength when you're struggling to be able to open up and be vulnerable yourself. What a powerful tool to have in your armory. What a powerful backup that is to know that you're not suffering or struggling or dealing with these situations on your own. And yeah, you might have a family member that you can go to for these same things. And that is wonderful, but there may be an occasion in life When the problem or the challenge that you're facing centers around other family members and you just can't go to those people. Maybe you need help from outside of the family unit. And that's when the very closest, tightest bonds that you formed amongst friends or teams can help. In a work situation, you will come up against challenges every single day where, together as a team, if you formed a bond, you're far better placed to deal with those challenges. In the early days of my Formula One career, showing vulnerabilities was seen as a weakness. Opening up to people about problems or your weaknesses or things you were struggling with was seen as a sign of weakness. And in a very macho, very male-dominated sport where it was all about power, it was all about strength, opening up and being vulnerable to the people around you in that same environment was seen as a, a real weakness, a sign of weakness. And actually way back in the early days, that would have been ridiculed. And any trust that may have come from that would have been wiped out immediately and the opposite effects would have happened. Showing your vulnerable side, offering up that side of you to other people only to have that shot down in flames or ridiculed or laughed at will have exactly the opposite effect to the one that I'm describing in the modern day as being a way of achieving trust within a team. It can have the opposite. It can destroy any trust. It can actually have longer lasting, long-term effects where it might affect your ability to trust anybody in the future. And I'm sure that many of us have had those experiences in the past where we have opened up, we've given our trust to somebody and that trust has been abused or it's been broken, it can be a real challenge to get that level of trust back, either with the people that let you down previously, which may be really hard, but even to other people, people we meet in the future, where we might relate that relationship back to a previous relationship and the experiences that happened to us in that previous relationship, where we may struggle to find a way to trust a new person, based on the experience we had with a person in our history, in our past. And this is where we all need to have a greater understanding of what other people may have been through long before we've met them. People may have trust issues, and yet we want them in our team to open up, be vulnerable, give their trust to us and give our trust to them. We want them to literally lay it out on the table in front of us. And yet they may not necessarily be willing to do that in the beginning. And that's where building this trust comes from. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens over time. Some people, it takes longer than others. And as a team, we need to have members of that team that understand that every single person is different. Everybody's not going to work to the same timeframes, to the same levels. Some people will find it much harder to do that. And that's where we have to treat every single person on an individual basis. And if somebody's struggling with trust issues, one of the things that we can do to try and help them overcome that is lay ourselves out on the line. It's to give our vulnerability over to them. It's to be the first one to make that move, to give our trust to them, to do things that give them some evidence that actually there might be a different way. There might be somebody out there that they can trust. They can have a reliance upon. Trust is built on evidence and evidence is created by the actions that we take, by the behaviours that we follow, both today and all the way through our lives. Our ability to trust and be trusted today will have been built up, will have been created by all of the evidence that we have seen in our lives to date. But it doesn't stop at that point. That's not a finite line in the sand. If we want to develop trust, if we want to create the ability to have trust and to be trusted, we have to work on it like anything else. And these methods, these techniques, these elements that I'm talking about in today's podcast are all things that we can practice, that we can work towards. We may not find all of them very easy to do. Some of them we might find incredibly hard to do. But by building evidence gradually, starting today, small pieces of evidence, by looking for evidence of what could be achieved in the future if we embrace these ways of living or of working. Evidence is what builds the picture in our minds to decide whether something's worth taking the risk upon, whether the sacrifice might be worth it. Is the end goal going to be worth it? And what evidence do we have to support that? If I lay myself on the line here, if I open myself up and be vulnerable to this group of people that I'm working with, what evidence do I have that it's going to give us an advantage? And the evidence has to be talked about. It has to be discussed. It has to be visualized. I talked earlier on about talking about what your goals are as a team, how you might achieve them. That type of conversation can start to build a picture which can be used as a form of evidence to justify the methods and the techniques and the sacrifices, the efforts that people are willing to go to to achieve those goals. The final pillar towards building trust that I want to talk about today is this idea of being helpful, doing things for others, living a life of service for other people rather than trying to live a life that serves yourself. And whilst that might seem like a really ideological scenario, uh, something that's unrealistic in the real world. If we want to build a high performing trusting team, a group of people or a relationship even between just two people, doing things for others and showing that you're doing things for others without any care about what you might receive in return is one of the biggest things that can develop a trusting relationship. Having people know that you've got their back, that you're willing to sacrifice some of your time, some of your money, some of your focus and well-being. Sacrificing some of the things you want to do to be able to do something that someone else wants to do more. Those things can start to build a relationship on a completely different plane to one where that does not exist. The sort of unintended irony, of course, in exactly what I've just said is that doing things for others and living this life of service actually can be so much more rewarding than doing things for yourself on so many occasions. But that's a byproduct because the original intention of doing things for others is literally that, it's to do things for others. And when you see somebody doing something for you that doesn't benefit them in any obvious way it can start to give you a completely different level of relationship. You can start to appreciate that somebody cares about you. And if somebody clearly cares about you, is willing to go out of their way to care about you, surely you can give them a little bit of trust, a little bit of care back in return. And so the relationship begins to build. And it's the same in a team environment. When a member of your team is willing to go out of their way to help you To help you to come across the office and help you in a moment when they can see you're struggling. Even if it means they might not be getting on with the job list that they've got to plough through in a day. They're doing something to help you because they can see that you're in need of their help. They have something they can offer you. And even though it might be costing them time, it might be costing them some of the things on their own job list they may not achieve that day. They can see that some of their strengths can tap into some of your weaknesses and are willing to dedicate that time to you. What a powerful scenario that is. And if you've ever felt that coming your way, you'll know how powerful it is, how important it is the relationships with the core group of friends that I talked about at the start of this podcast are built on exactly that. People do things for each other. When I went to see my friend this week, it was a difficult thing for me to get to. It took me nearly three hours to get to the location where I was going to be able to go and see him for his dinner. People had flown in from all over the world because we're now spread out across the globe, having moved on to other things in our lives but the level of dedication to get there because we all love and care about this guy and we wanted to be there for him just showed exactly what we all mean to each other, what level of dedication we're all willing to go to each other, the level of our friendship, the level of trust we have between those friendships. We're willing to sacrifice things in our own lives to do things for other people. I know that if I hadn't turned up to these birthday celebrations, well, I would have let him down. He would have been devastated. I'd have been devastated, not only because I hadn't been able to get there and enjoy the celebrations and spend that time sharing that time with him, but also because I would have felt terrible because I'd have let him down. I'd have not been the reliable guy in our relationship that I've always tried to be. My time in Formula One has created some amazing relationships where people go out of their way to help other people. I've talked about many of them in the past, but David Coulthard was a great example. A driver, in fact, one of the first drivers that I worked with when I came into the sport, somebody that I immediately bonded with because he went out of his way to create that bond, to help build the team around him. And as I joined that team and became a new member at just 22 years old, very junior in the entire organization, but that didn't matter to David Coulthard. He sought me out as a new member of the team, realized that I joined and went out of his way to form a relationship between us, to bond immediately between us, to start to share some of his life experiences and encourage me to share some of mine, to get to know each other really early on. He didn't have to do that but he appreciated how those relationships would be key as we move through the years together. And so it was true. And many years later, David Coulthard offered to loan me thousands and thousands many thousands of pounds to get me out of a sticky situation that I'd found myself in one year. He did not have to do that. There was nothing in that for him. And you can say, well, he's got plenty of money. It may not be a big deal to him. Is still a big deal. Loaning many thousands of pounds to somebody you don't really know outside of the work environment, when there's nothing coming back in return to you, only to help somebody out who might be struggling, is a really important, valuable, and powerful lesson that I took away from Formula One. These are all lessons that I've described to you today that I have taken from the world of Formula One. They're all lessons that I now try and live my life by to the best of my ability. They're lessons that I try and impart with these huge companies that I go and speak to all around the world. Because I know that the very best, the very biggest high-performing teams in the world have teams that are based on trust. That trust takes time to build The very best trusting relationships happen gradually over many, many years. The friendships I talked about are 20-odd years old now. And they have gradually developed that level of trust between us, where I'm fairly sure it would be very difficult to break down those bonds now. I'm sure we'll be friends forevermore. But we're talking about going into organisations, building new teams, trying to encourage teams to generate trust between them. When you haven't got a 20-year period to wait, there are still these techniques that we can impart on our team members, on the relationships that we're in or the ones that we're trying to build, ones that we're trying to strengthen. Helping each other, going out of our way to dedicate our time and our resources to helping them, to servicing them with nothing coming back, obviously in return. Being vulnerable and showing our vulnerable sides. As a manager, as a boss of an organisation, that's something that would have never happened years ago, but today it can be one of the most powerful tools you can utilise to gain the trust of your teams. And as a team member, exactly the same thing applies. Opening yourself up, showing a vulnerable side to the people around you encourages those around you to do the same in return. And when you have this openness and vulnerability, the trust begins to generate. Admitting when you get things wrong, when you make mistakes, which every single one of us does, is an important part of showing that vulnerability. Being reliable, being honest, and valuing a longer-term view of your relationship. Don't look at it in the short term. Don't look to get quick wins, but think longer term. So even when you're dealing with a team on a short term basis, think longer term, because thinking longer term opens up this trust. It opens up this idea of a relationship that could run long into the future. And When people start to think that this could be something that could last a lifetime, they're more willing to give those layers that create the trust in the first place. These are all powerful tools that I have seen work inside the world of Formula One, creating teams that have bonds that are almost unbreakable, tapping into experiences that you've shared together that can bring you together, that can make you stronger together, creating those experiences that you can then go through together. So this week, perhaps think about the existing relationships you have, both personal, social and professional, and ask yourself, Is there a way to help encourage a greater level of trust between you? Because if you can do that, the possibilities become almost endless. And some of my experiences in Formula One and relationships that have come out of Formula One are perfect evidence of that. Have a wonderful week, folks. Thanks for listening. And whatever it is you're doing this week, remember this. Do the right things. Do the things right.